tonight we're going to have the Rosh Chodesh series, and the reason for that is because this Friday, Shabbat, is Rosh Chodesh Cheshvan. So this is the closest Tuesday, and as you know, the closest Tuesday to the Rosh Chodesh, we veer away from Garden of Amuna, we go to Rosh Chodesh. On top of that, the first Tuesday of every secular month, we are running a parenting class. And it's not just for, for young, par- young parents, uh, adult parents for all ages, just to figure out and understand relationships. So we have to look in the calendar. I think next Tuesday is going to be also the not Garden of the Moon. It's going to be Growing Connections, okay? So you'll have a uh, Facebook and an email going out about that. So tonight's class, instead of talking specifically about the month of Cheshvan, you saw in the invite that went out that we're going to talk about, in general, the power of Rosh Chodesh. There's something very interesting about Rosh Chodesh. Out of all the 613 commandments that we find in the time of persecution that it was prohibited by the death penalty, one of them was establishing Rosh Chodesh, the Jewish calendar. And you would wonder why. Uh, Brit Milah was one of them. Okay, that's a biggie. Shabbat, that's a biggie. But Rosh Chodesh. You know, most kids go through Hebrew school and don't even know that there's a mitzvah, Rosh Chodesh. doesn't seem to be one of the biggest mitzvahs that we have. And yet our anti-Semites that hated us and that persecuted us and wanted to rip us away from our roots, they somehow knew that Rosh Chodesh is a biggie. If you want to separate a Jew from his religion, you've got to get Rosh Chodesh out of the picture. And then the system topples. And the question is why? What's so great about Rosh Chodesh? Simply speaking, one can say that the Rosh Chodesh affects our entire annual cycle of holidays. Without Rosh Chodesh, you don't have a Sa'ah holiday. Because in the Torah, it always talks about holidays by the date. And on the first day of the seventh month will be Rosh Hashanah, and on the seventh day, Yom Azikaron, and on the, on the seventh day, at the tenth day of the first, seventh month will be Yom Kippur, on the fifteenth day will be Sukkot, on the fifteenth day of Nisan will be Pesach, counts 49 days, and the 50th day will be Shavuot. So one can say that the holidays of the year depends upon the Rosh Chodesh, and if they get rid of Rosh Chodesh, they get rid of the holidays, and one could stop making logic out of that, but why not just prohibit the holidays? Why prohibit Rosh Chodesh? Not only that, Rosh Chodesh is an extremely unique mitzvah. You see, if a rabbi does something wrong, most often, it's like he didn't do it. Because rabbis don't have power to make religion. They're just ordered to enact religion. So... It's not like the rabbi says, well, this year, due to, we're going to change things. It doesn't work that way. You do what you're supposed to do, and if not, it's not done. If there's an accidental mistake, there's laws. The rabbi made a mistake by accident. There's uh, special sacrifices, which the courthouse had to bring if they gave a verdict by accident. But here is a very interesting thing about Rosh Chodesh. The Talmud tells us, that Rosh Chodesh is so unique that if they purposely, intentionally did it wrong, it's still valid. Afilu mezidin. 
even if they intentionally did Rosh Chodesh wrong. Now, let's just go over this really quickly to understand what that means doing it wrong. The lunar cycle, my mind just brings two opinions. We're going to follow just a simple opinion that the lunar orbit is 12, tw I'm sorry, is 29 days and 12 hours and I think it's uh, 393 particles of a minute. But basically it's 29 and a half days. You don't have a half day Rosh Chodesh. Therefore, Rosh Chodesh cannot be set on every 30th day. Because if every month is 29 days, eventually you're going to be very off from the lunar cycle. Add up the half days. Within four months, you're two days off. And it keeps on working that way. If you make it every month 29 days and the 30th day is Rosh Chodesh, or if you make it 30 days and then the 31st day is Rosh Chodesh, it's not going to work. And that's why you have sometimes a 29-day month and sometimes a 30-day month. Now, this coming, I told you, is going to be Friday and Shabbat. Friday and Shabbat is because you have a 30-day month. Whenever you have a 30-day month, the 30th day is Rosh Chodesh, and the first day after that is Rosh Chodesh. So it's very interesting, but when you write a letter and you write the first day of Rosh Chodesh Cheshvan, you need to know that that's not the first day of Cheshvan, it's the 30th day of Tishrei. So whenever you see in a letter or a contract, it says Aleph de Rosh Chodesh, the first day of Rosh Chodesh, realize that that's the last day of the previous month. Now, biblically speaking, there was no calendar. It's very simple. Rashi tells us that God showed Moses the moon and says this, when the moon looks like this, that's Rosh Chodesh. So you have the full cycle, in the middle of the month, the month is the fullest, the 15th day of the month, and then it starts getting smaller, smaller, smaller. It disappears completely, and then it reappears. That's called the moled, the rebirth, and the birth of the new moon proclaims Rosh Chodesh. Now, that day Rosh Chodesh, you have to have two witnesses testify that they saw the new moon. And that's how they proclaim Rosh Chodesh. They question them, because for those of you who follow the moon, um, orbit, you'll notice sometimes you have a gorgeous big moon that looks like it's only two stories high. Sometimes you have a moon that looks like so far away, tiny. They actually studied the cycle. They studied astronomy. And the Talmud tells us about a certain rabbi that he had drawings of the moon in his office to understand exactly how it looked. And they would question the witnesses. And they would know that what the witness saw cannot be the moon. Because according to their astronomer, astronomical teachings, we know that the moon was to be on the other side. It would be so big. It would be so low. It couldn't have been the moon. So they actually questioned them, the two horns of the moon, the two points, which way was it facing? So there was a lot going on there. It wasn't like we saw the moon. You saw the moon. They questioned. They went through their books. They saw if it makes sense what they're saying. Could it be that way? Could it not be that way? From the angle, the orbits, the sun, the moon, the earth, what kind of triangle did it form, and so forth and so on. Now, what happens if they malicious, I'm not using the word malicious to bet in, but they intentionally made a mistake? They win. We learn out that this is unto you, to you. You will decide it. The Talmud tells us that the angels asked God, when is the holiday? 
And God answered them, you and I are going to have to go down to the courthouse and see when they make Rosh Chodesh. There's something about Rosh Chodesh that's very powerful. Rosh Chodesh is also feminine. Rosh Chodesh is a holiday that was given to the women because they didn't participate in the golden calf at all. Therefore, God gave them a holiday, Rosh Chodesh. The night of Rosh Chodesh, a woman should not be working. You don't do laundry that night and stuff like that. What's the connection with the woman? Another interesting thing about Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Chodesh is set up on the moon cycle. On Rosh Chodesh, it says that we bring a sin offering. Why do we bring a sin offering? So our sages tell us that God said, please bring for me a sin offering because I have sinned. <laughs> what exactly means that God sinned, I don't know. But that's what it says. And what was the sin that God did? Because if you look last week on Simchat Torah, the day after Shabbat Bereshit, we began on Simchat Torah, the Pasha Bereshit. And then we went the next day, Shabbat, we read the whole Chumash Bereshit. And over there it clearly says, and God made two great illuminaries. He doesn't refer to a big and a small. It says two big illuminaries. They were both equal in size. And then right after that, the verse says, and God told the great illuminary that you will rule by day and the small luminary. Where was that small luminary? There was no small luminary. The verse just called them both big luminaries, illuminaries. And what happens? Our sages tell us that the moon came to God and said, you can't have two sons because you can't have two rulers on one kingdom. And God says, you're right. Lech tamiti. Go make yourself small. It seems to be not fair. If he's right, then why is he the one to make himself small? And because God did do that, God says, bring for me a carbon chatat. Bring for me a sin offering on Rosh Chodesh. Very interesting concept. Another interesting concept about Rosh Chodesh. I'm just throwing out there things that you guys realize it's not just the calendar. When we talk about the evolution of sin in the world of Kabbalah, the evolution of sin begins with the contraction, goes on to God making the moon small, and solidifies itself in the physical realm of actuality by Adam eating from the tree of knowledge, Adam and Eve. The moon plays an interesting role here. If not for that concept with the moon, sin could not exist. There's a lot about this Rosh Chodesh that we don't seem to be in touch with. We just know it as a day in the calendar. Many, many, many shuls have Rosh Chodesh group for women because it's a women's holiday. And that in itself needs to be understood. I once gave that class. What's the connection? Because they didn't do the golden calf, therefore give them Rosh Chodesh. Why give them Rosh Chodesh? Why not give them something else? Why not give them the 15th day of every month? We're a full moon. Why Rosh Chodesh? The rebirth of the moon. There's got to be some deep connection between the birth of the moon, Rosh Chodesh, and the woman being faithful and not committing the sin of idolatry with when all the rest of the Jews did besides the tribe of Levi. So I just wanted to shoot all this out there. I'm going to just zoom in on two points. But I wanted to shoot this all out there so people can understand there's a lot to talk about Rosh Chodesh. And we went through a whole year cycle, and more than anything, I focused on the energy of the month. But I think we need to also have a couple of classes about Rosh Chodesh itself, the dynamics of Rosh Chodesh, and that's what today is, the power of Rosh Chodesh. I want to take you to a very interesting, complex, seems to be the academy 
about the moon. And that seems to be the secret of Rosh Chodesh, at least what we're going to be talking about today. Between the moon and the sun, which would you say is stronger? The sun. The moon has absolutely no light of its own. The whole reason why we have a growing moon, a shrinking moon, disappearing moon, reborn moon, is only because the position it plays in relationship to the sun and the earth. So the moon has absolutely no light of its own. And it reflects the light of the sun. Yet on the same interesting concept that the moon has no light of its own, Hasidus says that the moon has a light that the sun doesn't have. Because at the end of the day, sun cannot exist in darkness. So if we're talking about finding ourselves in a time of darkness, the sun can't help us. Now, we would look at it, plain and simply, that the sun doesn't allow for darkness to exist. As the sun that leaves, that causes darkness to come. Kabbalah approaches it from a different angle. There is such a thing as darkness. There's actually an interesting argument on the existence of darkness. We say every single day in our blessing, he formed light and created darkness. Seemingly, darkness is not a creation. On the contrary, seemingly darkness is the absence of the creation of light. We wouldn't look at darkness as an existence. When there's no light, there's darkness. And yet that's not the case. In Kabbalah, there's a very strong opinion because of what I just mentioned to you. He created darkness. Darkness is not the absence of light. Darkness is a creation of its own. And with that being the case, so we don't look at darkness as the absence of the sun, the absence of the light. So now let's reconfigure what we're saying here. It isn't that the sun steps away and therefore darkness comes. Rather, we can now say darkness is an existence of its own and the sun has no power in darkness. In a time of darkness, it's not by the light of the sun that we find our way. Quite the contrary, it is only the moon that can help us in time of darkness. The Jewish people are compared to the moon. Our sages say we count by the moon and we're compared to the moon. Just like the moon gets smaller and then gets bigger, so to the Jewish people in exile, and then we will return. We will one day return to our greatness. So when we talk about the concept of exile, we would connect with the moon. While the sun is what guided us through the Solomonic days, through the great days of redemption. But in a time of darkness, it's not the sun's light that we can count on. The sun cannot exist in a time of darkness. So one side of the coin that I'm presenting to you is that even though I started off with a question, what is stronger, the sun or the moon? and we all thought the sun, it seems to be that the moon has a certain strength that even the sun doesn't have. Because while the time of day is great light, but that light cannot compete with the darkness of the moon. While on the other hand, when it comes to darkness of, the, of, of night, it's only the light of the moon that can guide us through it. 
Very interesting strength to the moon. And now let's talk about that story again. The moon exists only because God told it, Lech tam'iti, go make yourself small. So on one hand we find that the moon has a very great strength. It can guide us through dark times. At times when we feel that we're locked into the darkness of depression and whatever it's going to be. There is no sun then. Those of us who've ever dealt with those times, the last thing you can hope for is any sunlight. People that live in darkness for whatever period they're going through it, they actually shriek away from, they shirk away from the sun. There's got to be another type of light that can connect to them. And it isn't sunlight. You're not going to help someone out of depression by walking into his room and turning on 97.3 FM and blasting music and turning on the big lights. There's got to be a different way to get him out. There's a different type of light that can help a person in their time of darkness. So on one hand, the moon, the light of the moon is stronger than the light of the sun. It can get to places that the sun can't get to. Yet on the other hand, it's clear that the sun is smaller than the moon because God told it, go make yourself small. And on top of that, the verse calls it Ma'or Hakatan, the small luminary. And yet these two aren't a contradiction. They work hand in hand, and that is probably the greatest power of Rosh Chodesh. So let's turn to a mimer, a Hasidic discourse, in which the Rebbe explains this whole story. Is it fair what God did? Imagine you caught your teacher by a mistake. And he says, yeah, you're right, and punches you. It wasn't that God told him you're wrong. It wasn't that you're arrogant. I know exactly what you're up to. You want me to make him small. Well, guess what? I'm going to make you small. He came with a legitimate issue. It's a rule. You can't have two kings over one kingdom. The absoluteness of a king's authority doesn't allow for dual citizenship. So if he's right, why was he to have the one that has to make himself small? There's a mime in which the Rebbe has a very interesting understanding to this, and he teaches us in the concept of charity, the Talmud says, more than the rich does for the poor, the poor does for the rich. There's a famous, famous Talmud that says that everything is all about mazal. There has to be a rich and there has to be a poor because charity has to exist. So therefore, not everyone could be rich. When Mashiach comes, it'll be different. But until Mashiach comes, we can't have everyone rich because as soon as everyone's rich, if there's no one in need, then there's no acts of kindness. If there's no acts of kindness, one of the three legs upon which the world stands won't be there. So then the poor man says, I agree with this plan. It's a great plan. But tell me, <laughs> what, is, what does uh, Tevya say in Fiddle on the Roof? Can't you choose in someone else every once in a while? Why am I the lucky one to be the poor person? Question. The Talmud says that you should know 
that the poor man does for the rich man more than the rich man does for the poor man. And there's a whole beautiful teaching of the Rebbe on, on the two different opinions and how you line up the three signs of a Jew. Um, kindness, timidness, and the Rebbe explains which one leads to which. There's two forms of giving charity. One is where your timidness leads you to giving charity, and one is where your charity leads you to timidness. Why? Because you think to yourself that this person is a child of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah, just like me. And we know that the law is that every single offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob deserves to have a great feast, like in the times of King Solomon, at his great glory. So why is this person poor and I'm rich? God loves me no more than God loves him or her. And that, the Rebbe says, that's when the person goes into the realization, oh my God, the only reason why this person is poor is so that I can give charity. Look what he's going through for my benefit. And that's where the charity isn't the attitude, well, God has got to, I mean, love me more than you because look, I'm rich and you're poor. Or I've got to be doing something right and you've got to be doing something wrong because look, I'm rich and you're poor. No, quite the contrary. You all of a sudden realize there's nothing I do that deserves for me to have anything that that other person doesn't have. And the only reason why the person doesn't have is because the system of charity must exist. That means that person going through all of that just for me to be able to give charity. The poor person does for the rich person more than the rich person does for the poor person. Going back to this concept, if we look at the sun and the moon as the poor and the rich, if we look at it as the giver and the receiver, the sun gives, the moon receives. Then we're going to apply that Talmudic ruling here. More than the sun does for the moon, the moon does for the sun. There's a very beautiful saying in Hebrew. It's a modern slang saying, it's not uh, from the holy books. They say, Tihigever means be a hero, be strong, be mighty. Vitashpilatatsmacha means and lower yourself. It takes a big hero to apologize. Small people don't know how to apologize. So it takes more greatness to be small than it takes to be great. And it's interesting because the Rebbe's understanding to that whole conversation between the moon and the sun was not as we would see it in our own little faulty human egotistical way. Aha! You caught God by a mistake and he right away shut you down and that'll never happen again. No. On the contrary. God saw that the moon had a potential that the sun could not have. The sun wasn't great enough to be small. The moon was great enough to be small. And that is why throughout the times of exile, it would be the moon and only the moon who would be there for us when we needed some light in the pitch black darkness of the exile night. Where does the moon have the power if it's so much smaller than the sun? has no light of its own, only reflects the light of the sun. Where does the moon have the power to give light in areas where the sun cannot give light? And the answer is, 
because it takes more greatness to be small than it does to be great. So there's more greatness in the moon than there is in the sun. And the moon can survive where the sun cannot survive. Let's take it one more level of Kabbalah. In the world of Kabbalah, you'll find that there's two worlds. There's many worlds, but we're talking here that our sages say that God created worlds and destroyed them until he created this world. The Arizal, the great Rabbi Isaac Luria, a blessed memory. The great Kabbalist, he says that what were the measures, what their sages are talking about is the world of Tohu, which was built and destroyed. We find in the verses, Vayimlach Vayamas, he was a king and he died, he was a king and he died. And that refers to the world of Tohu. Now, if you look in the world of Hasidus and Kabbalah, you'll find that the world of Tohu was very powerful. And the reason it shattered was because it was so powerful. Because the light of each single sefirah emanation was so powerful, it could not tolerate that which was different than it, opposite of it. Not only that, because the light was so absolute, the vessels could not contain it. And therefore, there was the shattering of the vessels of Tohu. And whenever you hear in the, word, in the world of Kabbalah, the word tikkun, Rising, rising up in the tzutzot, the sparks, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the 248 sparks from the world, from the vessels of the world, the tohu, which shattered and fell down into here. For an example, in the Hasidic teachings, you'll find that Esau was tohu and Jacob was tikkun. Who was stronger than who? Esau was stronger than Yaakov. And that's why Isaac liked Esau, because Isaac saw that within Esau lies far greater potential than lies in Jacob. I always use this example. I'll use it again tonight. Good teachers are fond of troublemakers because they see the leadership qualities there. There's only a challenge whether you can redirect. So while the teacher that just wants to survive the day and get the paycheck is likes the goody goodies and just dishes out the homework and read from page 42 to 408 and by Monday please have on my desk a beautiful uh, report and the goody goodies come in and it's typed up it's even got that plastic thing they bought in car in, in uh, copy max teachers love that but there are the teachers who love their job they love directing potential they love connecting people with their potential those teachers are fond of troublemakers. They don't come crashing down on them. They're challenged by them. They're intrigued by them. They find their life's dedication within them. Isaac liked Esau. Now, the world of Tohu is so powerful, and it shattered, and Tikkun has to fix Tohu. And that's why it's called the world of tikkun. It itself is well balanced. It's established. And in the world of tikkun, tohu finds its tikkun. It finds its correction. Tohu is mighty and powerful. Tikkun is calm and not as powerful. 
And my father-in-law, blessed memory, came over to me one day. He saw I was learning a mimer about To'o and Tikkun. And he looked at me and he smiled. And he said, no, Avrami, who's stronger, To'o or Tikkun? So I knew that if my father was asking me a question, the one answer that's not right is the obvious one. So I just smiled. He said, what don't you understand? Tohu shattered, Tikkun didn't, which is stronger. So as much as you're going to see that Tohu is stronger than Tikkun, Tikkun has got to be stronger. Because Tohu didn't survive, and Tikkun did survive. We live in sunny Florida that has hurricane season. You will notice that the strong trees are the ones that get toppled over. The trees that bend don't get toppled over. So even though you have the mighty trees that stand so strong and proud and nothing will be able to take me down, it's just a question of how strong the hurricane is. A little stronger, winds traveling at a couple of more miles, the tree will come down because the tree doesn't know how to bow. And when you don't know how to bow, you're going to have to crack. It's just a question of meeting your match. While Tiko knows, bend. Just bend with the wind. So if we talk about the power of the moon, it's because the moon is so great that it can be small, it's greater than great. It is greater than the sun. And where the sun can help us no more, rely on the moon. So if the sun is the Jewish people and all their great might and strength, it was in the times of the temple. It was at the glorious moments. The bottom line is that we went back into exile. So obviously, the glory of redemption and the power and might of the Jewish days of glory isn't as strong as the Jewish power of survival. Because it wasn't the sunlight that took us through the Holocaust. It wasn't the sunlight that took us through all the difficult times in our life. It was actually the moonlight. Let's revisit a poem that you guys probably all know. It's a poem called Footsteps. You familiar with Footsteps? So this person's walking along the beach. That's the story of his life. And then he turns around and he sees that there's two sets of footprints, his and God's. And then there comes moments where he sees that there's only one set of footprints. And when he pays closer attention to the story of his life, he realizes that at the hardest times of his life, he was there alone. And he looks up to God and he asks God, God, where were you when I needed you most? And what does God answer? God answers, my son, that one set of footprints are mine. I was carrying you. Now, if we can talk about the two sets of footprints as the sunny days, where there was me and God, and God was showing me, holding my hand, telling me what to do. But then there are times where it's too dark for us to see God. Too much confusion and chaos for us to hear God. 
we're thrown into night. The night moments of our life. And in those night moments of our life, we don't see the sun. So if all we have is hearing God, seeing God, holding God's hand, well, I don't see God's hand, I don't see God, I don't hear God. The sun is not there for me. And that's when we have to learn that greater than the sun is the moon. In times when the sun is out of reach to us, it's the moonlight that will guide us through the perils of the night. So Rosh Chodesh is very, very amazing. Rosh Chodesh is telling us that the power of the Jew's eternal existence is not the great strength of the sun. The power of the Jew's eternal existence is the light of the moon. The greatness of the Jewish people lies not in their greatness. It lies in their humility. Not many others were able to survive what we survived and start over again and start over again and start over again. Let's talk about another point. The sun neither grows nor shrinks. It is. What makes the moon, as we know it, the whole Rosh Chodesh cycle, is dependent on the growing and the shrinking. If we don't have the flexibility to be able to accept our humanistic evolution of ups and downs, virtues and faults, recoveries and relapses, if we can't accept that, then we cannot survive the night. We're going to have to give up. But if we can learn to embrace, and not just embrace with shame, but embrace with pride and beauty, that we are not children of the sun, rather we are children of the moon. Jewish people count and are compared to the moon. We don't have that power of stability that this is the way it is and it will never change. The truth is, Reb explains that we do have the sun and the moon. But for tonight's focus, if when we left Israel, if all we had was the sun, we were gone. We were over with. When the Jewish people left Israel, it was Rachel. Rachel, which represents Malchut. Rachel, which is the moon, that prayed for us. Because it is the power of the moon that has kept us alive through exile. So what you're hearing tonight is that the power of Rosh Chodesh is the humility to be able to accept our humanistic roller coaster ride of up and down, recovery and relapse. And it goes around and it goes around, and you still know that when the moon disappears, just hang on, there's going to be a rebirth. I'm thinking if I should share this with you or not, but I guess I'll close it up with this.
You guys have uh, been seeing my emails. I've been writing songs lately, writing lyrics. Last night, as an outcome of this class, couldn't fall asleep. So I wrote another song. And it's basically about everything in this class. It's called Gonna Keep On Fighting. Because that's what the moon's all about. That's the power of Malchut. If there's one promise you can make yourself, it's the promise that you're going to keep on fighting. Whether we will reach the success that we set for ourselves, maybe we're not realistic. Maybe we're looking for destinations that aren't ours. Maybe we shouldn't be so stubborn with God. But we definitely could make a promise that we're going to keep on fighting. That's the power of the moon. The humility to sway and bend and survive. The great superhero who knows lower yourself because that's where greatness really lies. The light that knows that even when darkness reigns, if you can go with the flow, you'll still be able to be a light in a dark sky. That's the power of the Jewish people. That's the power of Rosh And that's why our enemies, when they looked to obliterate us, they knew that Rosh gets in the way to their evil plans. So if we focus on Rosh Chodesh, then there's never an absolute dark moment of despair. There's always right around the corner the new moon. When everyone else says, we can't, we give up, the Jew keeps on fighting. That's the story of the moon, people.